0: be very overwhelming to go into a big museum like the pro football hall of fame and not know what to look at first there is so much eye stimulation it's really difficult but don't fret if you're planning on visiting here soon our next guest will tell you what to look for and some of the greatest attractions you might not want to miss coming up in just a moment
1: this is the pigskin daily history dispatch a podcast that covers the anniversaries of american football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis Hello,
0: my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another edition where we get to have a guest that has some association with football and hear his story. And we've really got a good one for you tonight. Uh, we've got a young man from the Kansas area, originally from Kansas City. His name is Andrew Stockman. Andrew, welcome to the Pig Pen.
1: Thanks for having me, Darren. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, we we are excited too. And I left out the important details, and I'm going to let you share with us a little bit about your background and your your football fandom and your connections to the game of football.
1: Yeah, I grew up in Liberty, Missouri, right outside of Kansas City, and was more of a baseball family. Um, Grew up going to Royals games, but also loved the Chiefs as well, right from the beginning. And so. I found a picture recently where I was probably one and a half in a Chief shirt, I think red pants, and I was like propped up next to a Chief's toy helmet. So my uh, mom had like curated that photo shoot for me when I was a toddler. So like right away, I was a a big sports fan, inherited that from my dad and um, grew up playing baseball primarily. I didn't play football, but grew up with like Trent Green, Priest Holmes, Tony Gonzalez, like those are the first teams, Chiefs teams I really remember. And then that turned into, um, let's see, like Derek Johnson, Tom Bahali. There were some lean years, though. There were a couple of years probably where Dustin Colquitt, the punter, was the best player before Jamal Charles really took off. But that was a really interesting time because neither the Royals or Chiefs were any good. And so... They really kind of reached the low point around 2012, and then right before or right after that, Andy Reid was hired, and now the tides have changed. But I've told people I was a fan before Patrick Mahomes, before Andy Reid. I go back to the Trent Green days when they had a good offense, but their defense wasn't all that good. So that was a little bit about my kind of Chiefs fandom history, but then – I grew up um, in Liberty and then went to college at Wichita State in Wichita, Kansas, studied sport management, but didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like general manager of the Royals, my hometown team, but (laughs) there's only one of those positions. And I, I was introduced to the International Sports Heritage Association in my undergrad career. They had a conference in Wichita at the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame, and so The first person i met at the conference was the director of the women's basketball hall of fame dana hart and so she was very kind to me and kind of showed me around and introduced me to all these people folks from like the patriots hall of fame and the packers hall of fame and i was uh, in my element I a big sports fan big history fan we grew up going to uh, primarily baseball stadiums but we would see the football stadiums as well on these vacations and just grew up a big sports and museum family And that had never occurred to me as a career opportunity until that conference in 2019. And from there, I finished my sport management degree and then did not do anything with sports. I worked for a men's fraternity for two years on their staff, um, working with different chapters across the country, learned a lot of great skills, met a lot of great people there. But then I started a podcast in 2021, which is how... Uh, in kind of a roundabout way, I was connected to Darren and the Sports History Network. So um, I created Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast, which I didn't have any intention of pursuing sports heritage as a career at that time. But I was kind of bored during COVID and looking for something else to do. And I loved listening to podcasts for four or five years by that point, and then really had some downtime. And I was like, well, I can make my own, I can, I can try figuring this out. And using some of the connections with the um, ISHA organization and just cold emailing people. You get to meet interesting people and talk to them. And I'm sure you've experienced that, Darren, with this podcast. So I've had that for almost very, very, three years.
0: Very familiar story here.
1: <laughs> Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. Talked to a lot of football folks that I wouldn't have met otherwise. And really people from all sports, all types of museums, ones I've, I've heard of and ones I hadn't heard of before. So it's been great to highlight different ones. And then um about fall of 2021, I had a, a thought to maybe pursue sports heritage as a career. And that brought me to my current status as a graduate student at the University of Kansas in their museum studies program. So I'll graduate in May 2024 with a degree in museum studies. And I'm working on the at the on-campus art museum, the Spencer Museum of Art. And that's kind of my... Like consistent grad school job, but then we have to have an internship in, in addition to our studies. And my internship this past summer in the summer of 2023 was at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So I've been all over the place. I got to travel a lot for the fraternity job I had. I was up in Ohio the whole summer. I had a baseball internship in 2020, right during COVID. So I've done a bunch of different things that have kind of brought me to where I'm at now, about to graduate, and hopefully going to pursue a career in the sports heritage industry. And all that really means is like sports museums, halls of fame, like team historian roles. It's kind of a, a really neat field, and I'm excited to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations. You're, you're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel after this long educational journey and, uh, congratulations yeah. to you. And, uh, you know, that's a great internship, you know, pro football hall of fame. It's, uh, you, uh, they put you up on the, the peak of the mountain there of, uh, probably sports museums. Uh, so that's, that's a cool thing. So get the, nothing's going to surprise you. Probably uh, too much when on your future journeys here, so that's cool. Let, let's yeah. uh, talk a little bit about your your hallowed ground. You know that's that's a, a very interesting podcast. And you said there were some that were some surprises. What what are what's maybe one or two of the big surprises of uh, sports museums that you came across?
1: Yeah, that's a a good question, Darren. I um I know this is more of a football podcast, but I'll go off into baseball a little bit if that's, that's okay, okay. Because yeah. I'm a big baseball fan, grew up loving the Royals, got to go to more of those games than I did Chiefs games, although I've been to a few. And there were some baseball museums that I had never heard of before. I was just, as I was starting out, looking through it, um, the internet and just kind of finding different sports museums or like one museum would lead me to another. And I found the Baseball Heritage Museum in Cleveland, and it's at the site of Old League Park, which I think may have hosted some football games back in the day now that I think about it. But um historic league park and it's like in the old ticket office of the um, former cleveland indian stadium now they're the guardians and play at progressive field but it was this baseball museum i never heard of and so i reached out to their director ricardo rodriguez is his name and he was actually my very first episode of the podcast which released on march 1st 2021 so it kind of became full circle where i was only an hour away from Cleveland this summer when I was in Canton. And so I drove up there and had emailed Ricardo and I actually got to meet him and visit the museum on a weekend when I was up in Canton for my internship. So that was one. And then there was the uh, BRS Baseball Museum in Nokomis, Illinois, very small town, kind of central Illinois. There's this 60 mile radius where they have like, they have three Baseball Hall of Famers from that little area and they all played probably 8,200 years ago. And so this little museum has kind of sprung up to honor those um, citizens of that community. Uh, Jim Bottomley, Red Ruffing, and Ray Schalk, um, kind of obscure to modern fans, but they're really well preserved at this uh, small baseball museum in Nokomis, Illinois. So even as big of a baseball guy as I am, those were two museums that I'd never heard of. And now I've made connections with those museums and got to share their stories with my audience. So those were just a couple surprises along the way.
0: Yeah, Very cool. I mean, I'm, I'm only an hour and a half from Cleveland and I, I've, I mean, that's the first I've ever heard of this uh, thing. Usually when you think about museums in Cleveland, you know, you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. You have the Christmas Story Museum, you know, the the house that was modeled after the the movie. And, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, that's one I, I haven't heard of. I'm going to have to check that out here one of these days. So, yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. So. What along the football lines? What what kind of museums football wise have you you come across? Besides, well, we we know the Pro Football Hall of Fame, of course. I'm sure, but uh, yes, I'll have have? a few
1: upcoming episodes with some colleagues I worked with this summer. Um, But then, I think my first my first episode was Ricardo, and then I think my second one was with the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. I had met Justine Campford there. one of their staff members at the Isha conference in 2019 and had gotten plugged in with um, some of the stuff that she was doing. And she talked to me for the podcast and then their uh, curator, Brent Hensel, I had him on later in 2021. So talk to a couple of those folks. And if people want to check out those episodes, they can just search hallowed ground on any podcast app and, and find it, but also talked to the new England Patriots, uh, their hall of fame, um, Minnesota Vikings, some pretty team specific ones. Um and so that was really good good connections to have. Um and just kind of people I was familiar with in the NFL um even before going up to the Canton for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I've done a few others too, but it's it's been a really Um, interesting experience to have some of these big like nationally known teams like the Packers and the Patriots and then kind of have like I've talked to the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame and like really kind of smaller baseball museums like I said so it's really ran the gamut on um, the types and sizes and sports and different types of people and um, it's been really neat to do that but I've gotten plugged in with some really nice and really good people from um, the football organizations as well from their their Halls of Fame.
0: It's amazing to me, and i I guess I've been naive for most of my life until about three years ago, I really only thought the two uh, there was only two football museums. I thought it was mm-hmm. you know the pro Football Hall of Fame, which you know was only an hour and a half from me. and the College Football Hall of Fame, which used to be in South Bend, and my my mm-hmm. brother lives in Chicago. so it's it's right off was right off a of ninety. you can see the golden dome, you know, from, from up there, you know, but, uh, and then they now since moved to Atlanta, I thought those mm-hmm. were the only two. And I've come across, uh, you know, handfuls of them, you know, like the, the, um, bear Bryant museum down in mm-hmm. Alabama. And, and some of these, they're just, they just blow my mind, you know, all these little ones that pop up. And, uh, this past year I came across, uh, and it's not really a football museum, but I got to visit, we had a, a PFRA mini convention uh, up in, I attend up in Western New York, which is not far from me in Springville, New York, it's the home of Pop Warner. And they had a, huh. a small little section of their local museum on Pop Warner, which was kind of cool to to see and yeah. say, Hey, yeah, Pop Warner was here. Was, that's kind of neat, but yeah. yeah, that's amazing how many little, uh, museums there are. And I'm sure baseball is probably a lot more than there are football even.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you reminded me, I talked to Jeremy Swick, who used to be on staff at the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, I've talked to him a couple of times for the podcast. And then I've met a few folks from the Bear Bryant Museum um, through the sports heritage organization I'm part of. So um, I do need to have them on the podcast and maybe visit Tuscaloosa. And I thought of them recently once uh, Nick Saban retired, I was like, I wonder how they'll kind of honor him down there. But um, yeah, definitely. I do think baseball lends itself more to some like smaller regional museums, just because that's kind of the nature, especially the history of baseball. But um, football can definitely do that, too. And I hadn't heard of that Pop Warner exhibit before. That sounds really neat.
0: Yeah, it's just a little corner of an old house, you know, basically is what it is. But it's it's kind of neat to you know, go back that, you know, over 100 years and, and look at a museum. Yeah. And uh, Jer- Jeremy Swick was a guest on ours uh probably about a year and a half ago or so we talked quite a bit about with college football hall of fame. Nice. He's still time. So yeah he, very interesting fella he is that's very cool. Okay so let's talk a little bit about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You spent a summer there uh, mm-hmm. I've been there multiple times. I I went uh, the year after COVID it was the la- last time I was down there. Actually I got to go down there twice. I'm I'm a, a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and I had the opportunity to go down on a media pass that year when they had the 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. uh, combined that weekend, the Steelers played the Cowboys in the Hall of Fame game. It was, you know, there's five Steelers going into the the Hall that weekend. I'm, I'm like, there, it's like a, there's no NFL fan ever that can go to the Hall of Fame and see five of their people associated with their organization and watch their team play and, you know, spend a weekend there. So I I said, it's a dream come true. This will never happen again. You know, it was was weird, but, uh, you know, so, but it was, I couldn't believe how much that that place has changed in like just 10 years, you know, from like the early 2010s. -hmm. You know, I remember when I was a kid, it was changed even more, but, uh, you ever gone to the pro football hall of fame prior to this year?
1: Yeah, we went as a family on a like a road trip up to Ohio um, in 2018, that summer. Um, we went to Ohio State so my brother could tour that campus. And then we went to baseball games in Cleveland and Cincinnati. And then I think on our way to or from Cleveland, we stopped by Canton and spent um, an afternoon at the Hall of Fame. And it was really cool. And it was um, obviously like a bucket list item for us as a, a sports family on vacation. And so we really enjoyed it then. And then that made it a, an extra special experience to go back as an intern and work there for a summer.
0: Yeah. I, I think uh, in 2021, my first time going there, I, they had the PFRA uh, biannual convention there first. I, I was there twice that summer. And I think the first time I went there I had never the the new entrance. I mean, when I mm-hmm. the time I was there before, you went in underneath the round the rotunda of the mm-hmm. football shaped thing. You know the the famous uh, money shot of Pro Football yep. Fame, and now you're you're you know my you know quite a ways away going into it now. But mm-hmm. it's really cool how you go in there and the first thing you see is you know a d- small display, in it, but you see the Hupmobile in the background. You're yep. Boy, this is, this is cool. So yeah. uh, that that was pretty astounding to me. What, what is your favorite area of the pro football hall of fame? What was one that you, you, you know, you go to work each day and you say, I got, I just got to walk by. I just got to see this again.
1: Yeah. I would say it would be the bus, um, the bus gallery. They um, like, that's, that's the hall of fame part of the museum. I think there's so much at the hall of fame and so many different galleries, but it all like builds up to enshrinement each August, as you saw when this, all the Steelers folks were inducted. But I think John—they had a video playing outside the bus gallery always, and uh, John Madden in his enshrinement speech talked about like he'd always believed that the bust all talked to each other at night, and like just kind of imagining that. And now John Madden being part of that as a Hall of Famer, and kind of thinking about what they would say, what they would talk about, and um, getting to kind of walk through that and we we had like a a staff professional development thing where we got to do some team building and part of it was uh, a scavenger hunt and so it was throughout the entire museum but then in the bus gallery we had to like count the number of bus that had glasses or had like bow ties and like that was really kind of a fun thing to like go through and count um, who had glasses and how many there were and not only that but just understanding the history understanding like the craftsmanship of the bus themselves is like artwork and how um they really depict the the hall of famers likeness and i don't know just like how they honor the greatest of the game and so that was a a really good experience just to walk by most every day
0: yeah i thought what they did with that gallery because when i was a kid you know many moons ago i can remember going there And this is probably in the early seventies. So it wasn't that old, maybe 10, 12 years old then the, the, the uh, museum itself was. And, but I can remember the bus were sort of like behind the ropes. You, you you were, you are kind of a five, six feet away and you could, you could see them, but you couldn't touch them. You couldn't get up close to them. I just think it's so cool now how you can walk in there and, you know, you want to put your head next to, you know, George Hals, you can put your head next to George Hals and take a picture or whatever. It's they make it so personable and a great mm-hmm. experience for for anybody to do. And they're just walking through there and seeing all these you know bronze heads staring at you is kind of cool too. And yeah, kind of kind of spooky maybe at night. But uh, yeah, that's <laughs> experience. Maybe you have.
1: Yeah, the lights are dimmed all the time. Really, it's kind of a reverential space, and um, it was really cool to just be there at different hours of the day and see different people engaging with their favorite players and um, contributors. And um, when my family came around the 4th of July, I got to show them around the Hall of Fame and we got to see all the Chiefs players and then like Lamar Hunt and Hank Stram from the contributor side. And um, it was really cool how like each generation of football fan like resonates with different people, whether it's Uh, a more modern day player that's been enshrined recently or somebody that like somebody's grandfather remembers from like the fifties. Like that's what I love about sports is how they can connect different generations. And the pro football hall of fame definitely does that in a great way.
0: Yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, the hall of fame weekend is just an amazing experience and and folks, if you ever get an opportunity to do it, you got to do it. And it's, I mean, it's like a giant, basically pro football carnival, I guess is, is, Uh, the atmosphere uh you know not only do you have the pro football hall of fame going on in the gigantic uh gift shop the way it is just normal on a normal day it's i mean it's a a super store of uh you know memorabilia Mm -hmm. and anything you want any of your favorite team or favorite player or whatever but they have those gigantic tents set up you know basically everywhere outside of the the hall of fame and it's uh you know tons of things you, you can spend a lot of money there in a weekend that's for, that's for sure and you know sure. tents where they have some uh you know legends signing some autographs and things like that to, which is which is kind of cool And they and you know, when the players come and they you know they have a make big fanfare like their limo or whatever pulls up mm-hmm. and big crowd around them and they you know they escort them into the hall it's just it's just a great experience it's really cool for a football fan of all ages and uh you know, I, I highly recommend it to anybody that gets a chance to do it.
1: Yeah. It's crossed my mind to go back 10, 20 years when like, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey like, maybe go up there and go for an enshrinement for a player that I, I watched their whole career. And that would be a really special trip. But yeah, definitely highly, highly recommend enshrinement weekend. It's a really special time. You got the Hall of Fame game Thursday night, and then it all kind of builds up to enshrinement on the weekend. And just a really, really special place.
0: Yeah, and the, the Tom Benson Stadium, I mean, what had you ever gone into the Fawcett Stadium prior to? No. I, I went in there. They, I didn't go into it for a game or anything. You know, this is just one, one of my tours. They said, oh, you can come out here to the Fawcett Stadium. It was just, it was a nice stadium. It was a high school stadium. Mm-hmm. And, and I never realized why it was a high school stadium. I didn't realize on the other side of it was, you know, Canton McKinley until... Yep. That, that Hall of Fame weekend, I I went there because they had all the media. They had us over in the school, mm-hmm. which was was kind of cool. But Tom yeah. Benson Stadium, oh my gosh, that's like a mini, uh you know, NFL stadium. It's the, the press box that we sat in it was like you know granite or marble top tables. It was, it was beautiful, and uh you know the whole thing, eight floors. You know you had to take an elevator to the eighth floor to get up to the the top of the stadium I'm like wow this is this is like real deal here it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a really nice little venue for for games
1: yeah yeah it's a great venue for the hall of fame game and then the the hall of fame village they do a lot of like concerts and the usfl was there um over the summer when i was mm-hmm. so we went to a couple games and just using that as a great venue space in addition to a high school field as it's been forever. ever um, it's a really nice stadium
0: yeah i think uh, camp mckinley got a, pretty Good deal there, and you, you look out, and, you know, in their, their practice fields. Well, they got like five or six other football fields on the other side of the school. To, mm-hmm. I believe the NFL put in it just uh you know, say, Hey, thanks for sharing a space with us, or, or whatever. So it's, it's a really nice little setup, you know, for mm-hmm. what they have. A great, uh, great area. Now, did you get a chance to go down to the parade on uh, Hall of Fame weekend uh, down through downtown Canton? They've, they've,
1: I was there like working as part of the photo op. Like I, we helped like manage the the crowd for the parade. I didn't get to see the parade, but definitely saw pictures and definitely saw people in all sorts of jerseys, um, even just for the photo op that I think maybe either kicks off the parade or is a different part of the weekend. But um, all the jerseys from different teams, some not even representing any hall of famers. They're just like football fans that came for the weekend and, but obviously, like Joe Thomas being inducted um, as an um this past summer, a lot of Cleveland folks made the drive, a lot of Miami folks for Zach Thomas, um, and then people from all over, Cowboys had a couple, um, the Broncos had DeMarcus Weir represented as well. So really all the teams were represented. I should have counted like how many jerseys I saw from the different teams because I probably would have seen all of them.
0: Uh, the, the year I went, uh, it, it was a lot of black and gold, that's for sure. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you had Cower and Palomalo and, uh, oh God, who, um, I think who else went in that year, uh, Panica, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you had, uh, some of the front office people. It was just an amazing experience, but so, um, you, you have, uh, some other museums that you visited though. Um, what are some of the other ones that you've, you visited that, uh, you know, and maybe some of the cool stuff that's in some of those.
1: Yeah. I have made a list of the museums I've been to that I've also talked to for the podcast. And I've been to like almost half of them, I think, and I have over 35 episodes. So I've been surprised at like how many museums I've been to and being a museum studies student. Now you're kind of always like looking for things and looking how things are arranged and how they, um, kind of guide you through as a visitor. But, um, I would say my favorite museum is the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. That's my kind of hometown, and um, it's really important history that is preserved there. And I'm excited they've gotten more recognition and more funding, and they're going to expand into like a Negro Leagues campus these next few years. And I just uh, took some friends there a couple Saturdays ago, and they really weren't big sports people, but they were able to appreciate the history and really get a sense of the Negro Leagues. Um, And they do a great job of um, kind of illustrating the segregation, because when you you go in through these old timey turnstiles, like we're at baseball football stadiums forever, you go through the turnstiles to enter the exhibit space. And then you see this uh, baseball field with statues for each of the nine players kind of representing the top players in the Negro Leagues. Because that museum's not really a Hall of Fame. It's kind of a holistic museum honoring the entirety of the leagues. But they have some legends like Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige out there. But you can't access the field until you learn all the history by walking around what would be the outfield. And so that um, field is also separated by um, what looks like chicken wire. And so that's illustrative of like how fans used to be separated, uh, black fans and white fans were separated by chicken wire. And so that's the story that their, their president Bob Kendrick has shared on some of their um, kind of storytelling uh, social media posts. And it's just really powerful. And the video is narrated by James Earl Jones. And so you get his voice kind of booming in their theater and, It's a really cool place. So if people want to come to Kansas City for a Chiefs game, for a Royals game, for some barbecue, I definitely recommend the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. But there's so many other good ones. I've been to uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame. I've been to the Packers Hall of Fame. They do a really great job from a team perspective. They have a lot of space. They're very fortunate to have that in Lambeau Field and... That's where the 2022 Sports Heritage Association Conference was in Green Bay. And so we met for the conference part, like on the club level in one of the meeting rooms. And then one of like the the banquets or one of kind of the evening events was you got to walk through the Hall of Fame and have some hors d'oeuvres. And it's just a really cool space. They have a replica Vince Lombardi office. They have all sorts of Packers uniforms up on the wall, the different types um, going back to – the early days back in the 1920s and that was really cool to see because i'm not a big packers fan I, I appreciate their history and um they're probably one of the the nfc teams that i cheer for the most but i'm um, just really being an appreciator of the history i did find some of their super bowl one items pretty interesting because that's what my chiefs were in and they they lost to the packers pretty bad in super bowl one so the old programs and tickets and memorabilia related to that was really neat to see too
0: yeah definitely definitely pretty cool i know yeah. uh i i didn't was unable to attend but they had a pfra convention I think it was 2016 or yeah, it must have been 2016 i, I wasn't really in the pfra at that point but the guys talk about it they just rave about uh you know going through that through you know, Lambeau field and the museum and some of the other attractions there are thereabouts around so a great place mm-hmm. to visit sure so your your kansas city chiefs you know they're they're the reigning world champions uh you've you've talked about some of their their stars mahomes and kelsey and uh you know andy Reid and you know, some of the great players have, have been th- with that organization the last few years now that's uh it, and you came in i mean you were i mean joe montana was long gone from the chiefs when when you came on i'm assuming and you, mm-hmm. you told us you know trent green was the quarterback so i could follow that timeline a little bit so what are some of the the moments that uh besides you know you're like me i mean i i was i'm born and raised in western pennsylvania so it's you have steelers in your blood i grew up at the time as you know i was a six-year-old when the steelers won their first super bowl so i was you know i was brought into it and uh not only by you know my dad saying hey this is what you're a fan of but it just was magnetizing and attractive to to do that so what were, were some of those moments that uh you know some, maybe some of the players or some of the plays that really are memorable to you as a chiefs fan that really got you going and now you get to see the really the fruits of, of what's uh, being championship football is
1: are you talking about my lifetime or like things I'd heard about your, your lifetime what your your, your, your your things sure.
0: you watched on TV or experienced in person or you know yeah Things that the the memories that stick with you.
1: I wish I remembered more of this, but i I need to check and make sure. But I think I was at Mahomes' first preseason game. um I've been to two regular season Chiefs games and then two preseason games, and I think we went to one in August twenty seventeen, like right after he was drafted. And I think they played the Titans, and it was just a preseason game. the The stands weren't full, I don't think, and it was just kind of a a warm summer night at a football game and Mahomes was this first round pick, the first first round quarterback they'd taken in almost 35 years, I guess. I don't, yeah, I think it had been since 1983. And so I don't know if anybody really knew what he would become, but I wish I remembered more about that game. But the playoff game against the Texans, where Niall Davis took the opening kickoff back, um, in the, um, 2015 playoffs i think that stands out because the chiefs had been bad most of my childhood they'd made the playoffs with trent green they had made it with uh, matt castle a couple times i think but there were some lean years in between then and we hadn't won a game since uh, 1993 way before um i came around and was able to remember the chiefs and so um that was the game that really kind of turned the tide and with alex smith the quarterback they were very good um offense had a great defense with different uh, star players and that was kind of the tide where where things have changed and then um the two super bowl wins have been really really memorable i got to uh watch the chiefs 49ers super bowl with some friends down in wichita during college we had a super bowl party there which was really fun and then it was really meaningful to watch this last year's chiefs eagles super bowl with my dad and my mom and my brother and uh, my roommates from college who they've probably watched more chiefs games than they wanted to cuz One is a huge football fan. He's a a fan of the Browns because that's where his family's from. But we've gotten more of him into football. And then my other roommate's a Patriots fan. So they've had some uh, big-time games with the Chiefs over the last few years. So it was fun for them to kind of come and hang out at my parents' house and watch the Super Bowl with us there and celebrate with us, even if they may not have been Chiefs fans. We converted them by the end of the night. So it was just a really fun Obviously championship to celebrate, but then like remembering that it didn't always used to be like this with um, the Chiefs and just kind of remembering that history, even in my own lifetime where they could sometimes get over the hump and make the playoffs, but never make it to the AFC championship, let alone in the Super Bowl. So those are just a few things that stick out.
0: Yeah, I, I think when if I think of this recent uh, Chiefs Chiefs team, you know, of course, you know, the 13 second game against Buffalo mm-hmm. in the playoffs I had to be. I think that might be the most fantastic football game I've ever watched. Uh, you know, I watched it from home, but uh, man, it's, I don't know how many times I sat there and said, Oh, well, this team went up. Oh, no, Buffalo went up. Oh, Kansas city went up. It was amazing. I, and I had no vested interest in it, you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're only a hundred miles from Buffalo, but I'm not a bills fan, but it was just, it was just so much fun as a fan to watch that and watch these two quarterbacks and these offenses and these coaches with their strategies, just going at each other and attacking these defenses with such vigor. And, you know, only a few seconds going off the clock each time. It was amazing. I, yeah. I think that was, that's right up there. But I, one of my favorites is a game where it must've been like 2019, maybe Jared Goff was still with the Rams and it was, uh, I think oh, it was yeah. a Monday night game or it was a yeah. Thursday night game and Monday night. And and they went at it, and it was some highfalutin scores. Like I think both teams were in the 40s or maybe even 50s. But what a what a game that was! So if you like offensive football, that might be like the Cats meow right there. That was yeah. an exciting game.
1: Yeah, that was back and forth, and I remember watching that um, after a uh, fraternity chapter meeting. I I remember being kind of upset that I had to miss the start of the game, and then when we got back home, we. Uh, were probably about halftime by that point. And so it was just back and forth and high scoring. And the defenses were making plays too, even though it was such a high scoring game, which was kind of weird. I think there were a couple turnovers or defensive touchdowns as well for folks that um, lean more to the d- defensive side. But you bring up the 13 seconds game, that was um, one of the most exciting football games I'd ever seen. Probably the most, I would say, especially because it was my own team that was involved and got the victory in the end. But my favorite memory of that involves my grandma, who growing up, my mom wasn't much of a sports fan. Um, She married my dad uh, 30 years ago now and kind of has become a sports fan. And she knows more than she uh, lets on about football. Joe Montana and Marcus Allen were her favorites back in the day. But growing up with my grandma and my grandpa, they didn't really watch sports, maybe auto racing, but not much beyond that. But since the Chiefs have gotten good, and especially with Mahomes these last few years, my grandma is now 81 and she's become a really diehard Chiefs fan and yeah. she watches each game by herself and is annoyed if anybody comes and talks to her, calls her during the game. She wants to watch and focus. And so
0: she, oh, she, she's hooked now. She's like the rest of yes. us.
1: <laughs> yes. And so I called her, um, once the schedule came out and I told her each game and when it would be on TV and what channel so she could watch them. And I remember the 13 seconds game, I think that was probably the first season that she watched like every game pretty religiously. And I remember, because it was back and forth, and there were so many touchdowns, even in the last two minutes, she called our house, and I was back home with my dad and brother watching the game, because I hadn't started grad school yet. And she called us like with two minutes left, and she was all worried that the bills had taken over and the game was kind of over by that point. And we were like, well, hang on a little bit. We've got Mahomes. We've got some time. He doesn't need that much time. And so it ended up being 13 seconds that um, got him down for the uh, tying field goal. And so that memory sticks out and I have uh, kept up with her and I I call her pretty much after every chief's game and we talk about it and we talk about how they were struggling at the beginning of the season. And now they've kind of, uh poured it on at the end and really gotten a lot better as the playoffs have come around. So that's my favorite thing. We bought her some Chief shirts. Um she's she's really become quite a fan in her eighties, which is really special for us and just a really fun kind of addition to our our family. So that made me think of uh the thirteen seconds game of my grandma.
0: Yeah. Oh but it'd be a really special game to watch and yeah. uh, you know enjoy with your grandmother. Now uh no, you just recently, they had the NFL draft in Kansas City. Was it this past mm-hmm. year or was it the year before? I, I lose yeah, track in April this things. past year. Yeah, and that looked like, I mean, there was a lot of uh, people there from at least for the video footage that they showed of it that weekend. Did yeah. you get to experience that?
1: I didn't. I wish I did. I was like wrapping up the semester for school and I couldn't make it, but my brother went with his girlfriend and they were just in a mass of people. And I don't know if they actually made it down to where the draft area was, but- they had like a fan fest area that was around the whole, uh, Liberty Memorial union station, world war one museum area, which is a huge area. That's where the championship parades have been. And so it's a beautiful venue when it's not NFL draft season. And so the NFL kind of came in and and took over that whole area and turned it into a fan fest. And I was kind of jealous that I didn't get to go and experience that in my hometown, but it really worked out. We got, um, Rashid Rice, we got uh Chamari Connor's been a contributor on defense. George uh Carloftus was last year, but we added uh uh Felix and Duque from K State, a local kid. So that was a big draft for the Chiefs anyway. And then to have it in KC and kind of showcase the city to the nation was really cool.
0: Yeah, m- most definitely. Now I'm I'm sure uh, when when you're at Wichita State you you got to see a few games. Who who are some of the big players that went through on, at the college level you got to watch?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that Wichita State doesn't have a football team. They oh, um they don't. Okay. No. And it it's it's a kind of an interesting story. They had one up until nineteen eighty-six, but in nineteen seventy, I believe, the team was flying, I think, to Colorado for a game or something, and they had a plane crash in the mountains of Colorado. And I want to say like half the team and some athletics personnel passed away and kind of obviously was very tragic and and put a damper on the season and kind of the program as a whole. And people think that it kind of – they just kind of dissolved the program after that, but that's not true. They uh, continued the program until 1986, and I think just like budgets and recruitment was lagging behind, and the stadium um, is still there. It's used for track now, but I don't know if that was ever really a a totally viable program, although I think Bill Parcells went to Wichita State, which is one of my favorite trivia nuggets. Um, And it was an interesting – time because as a big sports fan like I am, I was kind of expecting the college football atmosphere and I didn't experience that in my undergrad days. So I didn't miss it as much as I thought I would because we had basketball. Our softball program was excellent, went to a lot of baseball games, but um, football I didn't get to experience until I came to Kansas. And then that was also weird because Kansas football has been terrible for the last 15 years until Lance Leipold got here, kind of turned the program around in year one. And then last year made it to a bowl game, which I got to go to with my dad in Memphis, which was a really fun trip. And then this year they beat Oklahoma. Um, we went to several games, my roommates and friends and I, and then, uh, had a winning season, including a bowl game win. So they've torn down half of the stadium now since the season ended and they're kind of building up a whole gateway district for the football team. And, um, they're kind of making up for what I didn't get to experience in college in my undergrad days. So yeah
0: okay so you know looking at it from a kansas aspect but what are are the some of the feelings maybe that folks are looking at down there with these new uh like mega super conferences that are going to be you know initiated next year and the playoff expansion and that what what are some of the feelings uh, about that your personal feelings and some that you're hearing down in your area
1: yeah it's interesting to think about because i think the expanded playoff is going to help Conferences like the Big 12, which is a pretty big time football conference and always has been, but they're losing Texas, they're losing Oklahoma um, to the SEC. But then they've also gained like BYU's decent every year. Houston's okay. Like these other schools that are coming in can kind of build up the depth of the yeah, but you got uh, Arizona,
0: Arizona State. Yep, uh, they're coming
1: what, in from the West Coast should, too. Do you get
0: another Pack Pac-10 team too or –
1: it's honestly hard to keep track of at times. Yeah, I know. I can't
0: I can't. I lost <laughs> yeah. track myself.
1: But yes, you're right. Those I think um Arizona State for sure. I'm not sure if Arizona is or I, not. I think they both Arizona
0: students. schools went so, in, but I, I wasn't sure who else went in. Yeah. I, I know and like so, uh, was it Washington State and Oregon State are sort of on yeah. the fence and I'm not sure where they were going or if they're going anywhere. Yeah. They might be the the pack two, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's hard to keep track of like how all that uh, shook out and where everybody ended up. But I think used pretty staunchly in the Big 12, from my understanding, and that mostly has to do with basketball, I think. Big 12 was an excellent basketball conference. I still think it gets kind of underrated nationally, but the Big 12 tournament's in Kansas City every year and really good depth throughout the conference from a basketball perspective. And so I think they have a new commissioner coming in that has been in for about a year or two. And he's really tried to preserve that while also building up kind of the national level of Big 12 sports in general. And that includes football. They, they have really excellent programs. Uh, Oklahoma State's always good. K-State's always good. KU is now a, a player in the Big 12. And so that uh, doesn't even include like the Texas schools like Texas Tech and Baylor. And all of them have had really runs of varying success these last 10, 12 years even with Texas and Oklahoma in still in the conference and still doing well. So it'll be interesting to see like who kind of fills the gap as those big time, big 12 powers. Like, and I think like, I think KU can contend for the college football playoff next year. I think that's, I'm going on record with that. So I think that may be a bit of a reach, but if it's expanded to 12 teams, KU ended up in the back half of the top 25 this year, they're getting quarterback Jalen Daniels back next year, fully healthy they were returning a lot of their starters, even though they had a few transfers and a few graduates, but not very many compared to other schools. So we'll see how they do, but it's been really exciting to see it turn around these past couple of years.
0: Yeah. And I I'm, I don't even know how they're going to do it this year. I mean, traditionally you would have like, you know, the power five would each get their champion, at least, you know, smelling the, the top four, like we, we saw this year. Yeah. Uh, but really, if you look at what we had our, our final final, four-team tournament it was really the future sec against the the big 10 the, the two yeah. mega conferences and you know two future big 10 teams playing duking it out too so and that's I mean, it's going to be interesting i think but you you know you still the big 12 definitely has some great teams and uh, acc still has some great teams and you know some of the the smaller conferences are still competitive you know with the uh you know mountain west with boise states and you know they're always yep. tough and you know some of these things so it, it should be kind of an interesting uh atmosphere and i, I don't know how the invites are going to go out and i think that might be kind of a an interesting thing and i'm sure everybody will be complaining and moaning the way they have that too. Like we did when there was only two teams going to a national title game. And I can remember a day when you didn't have a a national championship game. It was, you know, Hey, this team, uh, you know, number one, Nebraska played, you know, number 16, somebody else in the, you know, orange bowl. And while the Rose bowl has the number two team going on and, you know, the one's hoping the other one loses, but they never got to face each other. So I think it's all good. And I think this is, this is the path where college football probably should have been at 50 years ago of having a dozen teams. I think that's a good number and I, I'm, I'm excited to that. I don't know if I'm so excited about the super conferences. I'm a traditionalist. I, I liked yeah. how you had, you know, that one year, the, the pac 10 was the, or pac 12 was the tough pops. And next year it's the ACC. There's the SEC. And it was a big Ten. I I liked how it, you know, moved around the power shifted these last few yeah. years with it sort of being uh you know one or two conferences you know dominating uh it it's not as fun i don't think
1: yeah and it doesn't make as much sense geographically now that they've realigned and now some of the west coast schools are in the big 10 with all the upper midwest schools and it doesn't make a ton of sense geographically and that's going to hurt like student athlete well-being i think if they're traveling all over the place to play these sporting events
0: yeah, and, and the transfer portal too. I think is, I mean, it's great for the players and the the NIL uh, contracts or anything. Good good for them. But again, as a traditionalist, I think it's kind of tainted the game a little bit and made it more like the professional game. And that's that's what was nice about it. It was a a pure a brand of football. I mean, I I was a high school football official for twenty seven years, and I, that's the purest form of the game of football because these kids, it's just all academia and the love of playing a game you know college yeah. football you're getting these big time scholarships and you know the, these uh you know behind the scenes kickbacks that nobody's supposed to know about you know which we all know are probably happening but now it's all out in the open and they're 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 making a living at these kids are becoming millionaires with this nil before they even become professional and i don't know if that's if I, I mean, I like it for the, the opportunity to kids because they work hard and they make, they're the ones that make the program. Why should the colleges have be making all the money and then charging a exorbitant tuition on top of it too. Yeah. But I, I just something you lose a little bit of something from the game. I feel, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But
1: yeah, it's definitely different. Not even how it grew up in my lifetime, let alone folks that are older and know what it was like when there wasn't a national championship game. And like, like you were saying, so it's, um, definitely different, and we'll see how it shakes out. But like the loss of the emphasis on the student athlete and it being more about the money now. I do, I do agree with you that the student athlete should be compensated because they're the one bringing in the revenue to the schools. But um, the conferences changing alignments and the schools moving all over the place. It's it's all money driven and kind of media rights driven anyway, which is not what the fans care about either. So,
0: yeah, I, I think that nil went. Uh totally different direction than i pictured I, when they were saying they were going to pay the students i'm like okay i give you know maybe you know these top athletes give them like 20 grand or something to you know so they can live you know want to buy a pizza yeah. or whatever you know these kids are working out they can all buy time.
1: a lot of pizzas now
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i i had no idea that you know like uh who's the the girl that's the gymnast from lsu she's you know uh yeah uh, an influencer on social media now, you know, making millions and getting commercials on national television. I'm like, going, my God, that's, I mean, great opportunity for these kids, but, you know, is that going to ruin them for their education? that They're getting to, you know, want to be a nurse or, uh, you know, a, an engineer or anything like that. Is that going to ruin them from doing that? And, you know, what, what's going to happen that we might lose some of these great, uh, you know, scholars that uh, could really be doing something to help us in society, but, Oh, Oh well, that's a different yeah. subject, I guess. Sure. But hey, uh, Andrew, we really appreciate you coming on here, and I want to ask you one last uh, favor here. Now, with your extensive, uh, you know, knowledge of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we'll just we'll just stick to the Pro Football Hall of Fame here. Now, let's say you were talking to somebody out in list, the listenership that's going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the first time this in 2024. And we we talked let's exclude the bus. We already talked about that a little bit. Huh. What, what's one item that is a must see that maybe, maybe it's not, uh, you know, like the hot mobile when you walk in a big attraction, you can see but something you could easily miss. Cause there's so many nooks and crannies and it's yeah. kind of some odd shaped rooms like we discussed, but what's one item that folks got to see and appreciate that tells the, you know, the legacy of the game of football.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is, but it's on the second floor rotunda as you're going through the timeline on the first level. The second level is kind of more of these spotlights about like dynasties and famous plays and um, innovations in the game. And there's this gray metal um, panel in one of the cases on the exterior wall, and it looks very just unnoticeable at first, but it tells a really neat story where it's actually the elevator panel from three Rivers stadium that art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers was in the elevator when the immaculate reception happened. And so they've preserved, I don't know how it ended up at the hall of fame or how that process happened for acquisition, but it's on display now where art Rooney, the owner of the Steelers was getting ready to kind of console his team after this loss to the Raiders in the playoff game. And he got out of the elevator and it was like pandemonium where Franco Harris had caught the pass um, from Terry Bradshaw and and scored to win the game known as the Immaculate Reception. And so it was kind of this, this pandemonium that Art Rooney found himself in and they've obviously made that a really famous play kind of kicked off the Steelers run, as you well know. And um, they've, they've preserved that at the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a really neat artifact that, I think people definitely know about the immaculate reception but the kind of object that represents it one of several at the hall of fame is the the elevator panel which i think is pretty unique
0: yeah it's uh i I, i've enjoyed that myself of course you know that's that's sort of that play sort of kicked off my fandom too in 1972 you know that's kicked off me and ignited the steelers from you know a terrible team to a dynasty so it, it was great but I think one of my favorite things is I and I again I can't remember I know it's on the first floor but I love seeing uh they have I think it's Ernie Nevers uh yep. Duluth Eskimos trunk and yes. I just found find that so fascinating I could just sit there and stare at that thing for hours because it's just it's just so cool it's just a simple trunk but they have the painted the logo you know the simple logo that's uh probably not politically correct anymore I know the Canadian A football league team had Mm -hmm. to change their name from Eskimos, but just in the story of the Duluth Eskimos, you know, having very few home games and this guy that was probably would have been a superstar had not a guy named Red Grange been coming out of college at the same time that year. And guys like the four horsemen, it was, you know, 1924 was an amazing college football year. But uh, I, I, I find that fascinating that, that trunk. And I, I just love that, that whole little area there of those older, teams that are defunct now. I think that's kind of a cool, cool place. of the hall of fame. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew, we really appreciate you coming on here, sharing, uh, you know, your passion for the sport, sharing, uh, these, you know, museum, uh, thoughts and travels and stories. And, uh, really, uh, once you give us the name of, of your podcast, again, where people can listen to you and, uh, and you know, what, what days you come out with new episodes.
1: Yeah. So my podcast is called Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum Podcast. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen. I am about to release the uh, third season of episodes. The seasons don't really mean anything. It's just I have a break sometimes and then I kind of catch up on interviewing people and then I'll be releasing some episodes very soon. Um, First few ones are going to feature some uh, colleagues from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So be sure to check those out and there'll be more coming, um, this spring and beyond. So, um, I'm excited to uh, continue the podcast as I enter the third year of it. And I appreciate you having me on Darren. this was a lot of fun to talk football and talk museums and definitely feel like it's something that matches my interest very well. My, uh, academic interest with my sports fandom and kind of all coming together now in my degree. And then as I graduate here into a career, so thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know we, we wish you luck on your endeavors here and your graduation congratulations on that again and uh, you know, you're know, you always invited here to, to be a guest and uh you know we'll, we talked about a little bit too maybe we can have you on the, the sports jersey podcast too to talk about maybe some of the great athletes in their jerseys and some of those uh, mementos you've seen in some of the museums too so so thanks yeah. a lot for joining us and uh you know, good luck in your future
1: yeah thank you darren